Radio. I'm Michael Puente, reporter with WBEZ in Chicago. Well, the war in Ukraine continues since it's been going on for at least the last four weeks. We're hearing about Russian continuing to advance and heading closer to Ukraine's capital. And here to talk about and give us a little bit more of an update and what he's been seeing since this uh, conflict has started is Milan Andreevich, a history professor at Ivy Tech Community College in South Bend. Milan, welcome back to Off Mic. Oh, great, great, uh, great to hear from you again. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Milan, uh, both of us used to work for the Post Tribune in Northwest Indiana, and Milan's just been a, a valuable, valuable asset and knows a lot of the history of that area. He used to work, he had a number of jobs, so hopefully I'll get it right. He used to work for Radio Free Europe, is that correct? I mean, that's like, right, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, yes. Radio Liberty, that's right. And so he's got kind of a firsthand knowledge uh, on some uh, on that area. Milan, some of the reports that are coming out of uh, Ukraine just continues just to be just so saddened where we're hearing reports that um, Russian troops may have bombed a, a children's hospital in Ukraine, and um, it is just really making things miserable. They're trying to open... Uh, corridors to allow some of the uh, refugees to get out of there. Um, is this conflict escalating in a way that you even thought um, maybe even more troubling than you anticipated? Well, it, it uh, reminds me of uh, uh, the, the war in the, the Chechen war much earlier back in the 90s. Uh, and then in the 2008 in Georgia, yes, there were civilian targets in Chechnya, the uh, the, the, the towns and cities there were leveled. I mean, it was like not. It looked like uh, some carpet bombing had taken place, or an atomic bomb drop. There was really, you know, quite quite dramatic. And we're starting to see these. We, we have seen, uh, for instance, as you mentioned, the children's hospital. And that merits. That absolutely merits uh, an international investigation uh, by the International Criminal Court. It, it absolutely it merits that uh, targeting a hospital. Uh, you know, there cannot be any excuse for that. And, you know, Ru- Russia and some other countries, including the United States, are not signatories of the interna- you know, to the International Criminal Court and so forth. But nonetheless, uh, the images are there. Uh, and it doesn't matter what amount of denial or notions of, well, there's the conspiracy that the Ukrainians did this or whatever. No, it's not. There's, there's no excuse for that. Uh, but... But the Russian forces have been known to attack civilian targets in previous conflicts, and and, and even uh, in 2014, when when the Russian troops uh, took over the uh, uh, Crimea area, which is of course part of Ukraine. That's right. You know, we, we do know that um, Biden is calling President Joe Biden is calling for more sanctions against Russia, even today saying they're going to strip Russia of favorite nation status when it comes to trade. That means a lot of products coming from Russia, uh, everything from vodka to a whole bunch, you know, I'm sure caviar. I mean, I'm not a big on caviar eater, right. but it's going to be much more expensive for Russia, for Russia manufacturers to get their products into the United States. So it, it's going to, you know, I think it's probably going to hurt Russians more than it's going to hurt Americans. But of course, if you have restaurants and and uh, grocery stores, mom and pop grocery stores, like sort of European markets that like to get some of that Russian uh, products onto the shelves for Americans to enjoy, that's going to be harder on them. Do you think any of these sanctions is having an impact on Russia? 
it, it take it takes time uh, for it to take it to, to have an impact. There's always going to be reports that it, there's signs that it's now taking you know it's taking effect. There's some uh, you know some of these measures are now uh, you know have kicked in. You know the oligarchs, the, the wealthiest there, have already lost I don't know eighty billion dollars, what have you. Uh, but they're still worth eighty billion dollars. But Right. But definitely, yes, this will have the, when I look at it, I, I, not, you know, you have some good reporting uh, by the international media on this. But what, what, what I'm all concerned about is, you know, going back and looking at, as I think I explained before uh, in a previous talk that we had, you know, historically, you know, Russia is redefining itself and whatever it's, it, whatever reference it makes, this for many of us, uh, and for the public that might be just bombarded with this information, you know, it does. It seems I wouldn't say medieval, but it seems like these things shouldn't be taking place anymore. And by cutting themselves off, uh, you know, the favorite tra uh, trade status, uh, which uh, was pretty difficult for for Russia to get, uh, it removes them from this process of of globalization. Uh, and, and I, I, I say it in some some some, some concern uh, because as as the globe is becoming increasingly integrated, and I mean it has been, we should really ask: Can common interests prevail? And this action by Putin, although you know we can also say you know NATO aggressively moving towards. You know the border of Russia, and then historically, you know, Russia has always been concerned about it, and so forth. I, I really, I really think that that is what is going to hurt Russia more—not so much the pocketbook of the wealthy, but the common people, but also Russia's place in the global economy. I think that'll really, that that'll really hurt. Now, what could really hurt, really worse, is if the decision is made mostly by the Europeans, is no more oil and natural gas. But apparently they haven't done that yet. Uh, right. So, yeah, sanctions can definitely have an impact, but I think what's more critical, it's now going to put Russia back at a time when it was not part of this global process that was taking place already, even before the end of the Cold War uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, so that, that's a kind of a real right. negative I see right. for Russia and the Russian people. Right, and you do, you know, this favorite nation status as far as trade between the United States and Russia, uh, with the United States removing uh, Russia from that list, they're on the same category now as North Korea and Cuba. So we are, you know, and maybe, you know, because people are busy and they're looking at the reports and they're hearing about sanctions. One thing that is kind of clear, though, is that the United States and Russia are you know, entering perhaps another Cold War, maybe even a colder war than even um, previously happened. And that's going to impact both the United States and Russia. Yes, uh, absolutely. What It does impact. We are already feeling the ripple effect. Uh, you know, we shouldn't really buy into the fact because of this that has been building up before the actual invasion itself a few weeks back. Uh, you know that that this is contributing inflation and you know the energy crisis and our well I don't know if we'll call it it's the the prices at the gas pump and so forth. Yes, we're feeling the ripple effect, but you know these processes are far more complex than just the conflict in Ukraine and its impact on on us uh, on us Americans. 
I mean, this is a process that is kind of fluctuating. We're in a period of adjustment. You know, we've had uh, we've had the uh, COVID, we've had the withdrawal from Afghanistan, and here now we're presented with an issue that was pretty apparent to our policymakers for some time. Okay, maybe media didn't cover it extensively, uh, but definitely for policy uh, makers, they've they've kept a, a keen eye on this. It's not something you know. This armed conflict began in 2014. You know, around around uh, Ukraine's decision to to pursue closer economic ties with the West. And of course, according to the Russians, that harmed their interests of ethnic Russians living uh, in that country. And, and we, we got the whole story here. Uh, and, and, you know, and there's all sorts of interpretations. You know, uh, Putin is a, a madman. He's deranged. I mean, that's, that's, we don't know that. Right. Okay. Some make that speculation. An oligarch says that, you know, he's never seen him this way or. I think it's uh, it's almost irrelevant. It's almost irrelevant. State, yeah. She said she's never seen him like that. Doesn't seem that, that that is just you know maybe to comfort us in the sense that we got it. We we've got this beat on him. We understand what it's all about. But it, it's far more complex because Putin and let's say there are other leaders in the world. They're, they're considered democratic despots. They do have open elections. They do say we have a democracy, but we know every measure of democratic institutions and processes, for instance, in not just Russia, but let's say Turkey, uh, that's not really up to that standard that's expected among even emerging democracies. But definitely the democratic despots, you know, how do we deal with them? Uh, Should we prefer a friendly dictator? Uh, or, or a hostile democracy. And so that's another problem that our policymakers have to make when dealing with Putin and with Russian interests or their sphere of influence. Yeah, there's been reporting on NPR um, even yesterday suggesting that, um, or this morning actually, the um, you know this conflict was created by Ukraine wanting to join the EU, wanting to join NATO. So in, in essence, it brought this conflict upon itself but one people, but you forget to 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 say is that, um, but Ukraine is an independent country. They can do what they want to do. Sure, they've got ethnic Russia. I mean, it was part of Russia at some point, but in the last thirty years it hasn't been. So they're allowed to make decisions what they think is best for them, and not feel they're going to get attacked. Of course, you got Russia sitting over there saying. We don't want NATO on our border. So let me let me ask you this, Milan, and I'm not trying to get too dark here or have you look into the future, but it seems like the United States and NATO and other Western allies are kind of calculating that even though Ukraine is putting up a pretty good fight, that maybe Western leaders have already written off Ukraine as probably going to be part of Russia again. Oh, that's that's, uh, that's an interesting observation. I've, I've I've come across that before. That was also discussed back in in 20, uh, 2014, and also in the foreign policy community and for observers, let's say in academia and so forth. Yes, after let's say the Georgian conflict in two thousand eight, it seemed pretty apparent that Ukraine's going to be next because of the significant population, ethnic uh, uh, Russian population in the Ukraine, and so. Uh, if those people in that part of Ukraine vote for uh, a, a sense of sovereignty, you know, that they, they, they want to break away, then they, to the kind of nationalist tempo here, 
then it is the obligation of the big brother to protect that, uh, even if it means violating, actually violating, because it's not, they're not internationally recognized, but even if it means violating the territorial integrity of the Ukraine, they're protecting the interests of the ethnic Russians. So this, as I said, this might sound very, I like to say primitive, or not even barbaric, but this is really kind of like old school realism here. Uh, in, in, let's say, in international affairs and issues of, of sovereignty. It's always going to be brought up. That's why it's going to be interesting to see the investigations that are most likely going to be brought about. Uh, but it has to be done in concert. It just can't be the United States demanding uh, investigations of war crimes. This has to be a concerted effort on the part of many other nations to look into that part. Uh, of the story, but to abandon the Ukraine, that could be a possibility. We can't rule, rule it out. Will Putin win this war? Maybe it might be, and I'm not saying a better question, but, you know, he may win. I would say he, you know, that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's really unlikely that, that, that the Russians are going to lose on the battlefield, okay? Uh, although we see that, you know, the Ukrainian forces are, are really holding their own. Uh, but what happens, you know, you have this, let's say the fighting comes to an end, what's next, you right. see? And so whatever the consequences are of, of this war, of this action on the part of the Russians and so forth, this is really a, a, an issue. What happens, uh, for instance, can we, the United States and NATO, stomach this? And can the Russians stomach it? Because let's say on the part of the West, there's really what we can see on the surface, a lack of political planning for what happens, let's say, if Putin does win that battle. Or, or even, let's say, if he loses that battle, what happens next? You know, because we know that this could be comparable, uh, comparable to the, uh, the kind of failings, the, the, planning, the, the, the planning failures of, let's say, the U.S. invasion of, of, of Iraq. You know, is this going to be a winnable, unwinnable war? Is this going to be a winnable peace or an unwinnable peace? You see, so right. it's it's not uh, you know it's not going to be it's not going to be easy. It's the uh, the outcomes can be very very difficult. Uh, Milan, you know, not, you know, I, I just yeah. I I too I don't want to see it as doom and gloom. I just want to see a little bit of a maybe a little bit of silver lining here, some little positivity. Uh, that might that might come about, but that really would have to involve a very extensive engagement. But also because in democracies and you know we the people should know you know and for most parts of what goes on, uh, you know they need to be better informed. Uh, you know what we're hearing the war drums beating in in Washington and what uh, some particular senators would say and what they would do. And this is Biden's fault. This is under his watch. And that's all political claptrap. That's just huckstering on that part. You know, for, for us as the, as the citizens, and whether you're a citizen in Great Britain or whether you're a citizen in, in, in Israel or wherever else in the world, what you're seeing unfold, it's very typical what's been happening. Uh, in the kind of post-Cold War period yeah. over the last uh, some 30 years. How much longer can this go on? Well, let me ask you this, Milan. 
And it's, you know, in previous times, you can bring up the actions of a previous presidential administration. But of right. course, when you talk about Donald Trump, it comes with sort of another third rail of just politics that get in there. But one cannot talk about what is going on without bringing up the fact that in the, under the Trump administration, the four years, how much of what we're seeing now was caused a lot about with the damage that President Trump did by not only cozying up to Vladimir Putin, but also damaging NATO. I mean, you got to think some of what's happening to now, the emboldenment of uh, Putin to do what he's doing was because of President Trump's actions while yeah. he was in office. Well, it, it, the, the problem, it, it goes back, it goes back really to, uh, it could go back to the tail end of the George H. Bush administration when we were draw, beginning to draw down the military and our intelligence presence in Eastern Europe. So that, that's a slow buildup. And so the response was definitely they were failures in the Obama-Biden administration with regard to Putin. And let's say, uh, well, the situation in Georgia was really on, on George W. Bush. But, but let's say the last, uh, you know, with the crisis that unfolded in 2014, this is something that's, that's a leftover. This is, this, is my, this is something that the administration inherited and the Trump administration inherited, but they took a different course. It really didn't resolve that issue. It was just, it really was not, it did not, at least what we know publicly, what we know, it didn't take into consideration uh, that all of the threats to humanity, uh, the livelihoods around the world, uh, you know, we were, were making these adjustments. And, and the Trump administration seemed to kind of be the antithesis of what the previous administration was doing, but it did not really actually handle that situation, particularly with, with the Ukraine. So, so really, you know, when they say, you know, this wouldn't have happened under Trump, well, most likely it wouldn't have happened, uh, and it didn't really happen, right? With this situation now wouldn't happen. Uh, it, if he were in charge now, it probably would have happened, because... Look like we may have uh, gotten cut off. We'll take a quick break and we'll try to get Milan back on the air for a few more minutes. Uh, you're listening to Lakeshore Public Radio Off Mic. Well, welcome back to Off Mic on Lakeshore Public Radio. I'm Michael Puente, reporter with WBEZ Radio. We had a little technical snafu. It's live radio. It happens all the time. Uh, we we're speaking to Milan Andreevich, history professor at Ivy Tech Community College in South Bend. We've been talking about the situation in Ukraine. Milan, one of the questions I did want to ask you, and we were, we were, and thank you for getting back on with us, um, is that, again, going back to uh, whether Western allies, United States, NATO, you know, kind of is writing off um, um, Ukraine as well. It's probably going to be right back with Russia through this conflict. Do you do? Do they not? I mean, do they see sort of this isn't the battle for us because people are saying this is a proxy war between the United States and Russia. United States is providing arms to Ukraine, and Russia sees that as, in fact, going to war with Russia, and we're putting all these sanctions. But really, that NATO doesn't see this as the fight. That the fight may truly be coming after Ukraine gets back into into Russia's, you know, uh, territory again and 
will be uh, right there, uh, um, neighbors with NATO allies. Well, you know, uh, Michael, it, it, I look at this as a process of, and this has not even been brought up in conversation, but it really boils down to, I've been noticing uh, through my, my context and what I've been reading in the literature, is that the big question really is not so much Russia, you know, wither Russia, but will the U.S. and China fight for global leadership? And I think this is that problem that we're confronting is, you know, we're perceived as global leaders, but we sure are not demonstrating that uh, publicly, uh, even to our allies. Uh, and so the whole idea is that we should not be surprised that in the coming decades, we are going to see a resurgence of proxy wars, but the, but, but the bigger danger is even direct conflict, okay? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we see, let's say, the USDs, their rivals, have been emboldened, and, 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 uh, and that the peace of the recent decades is starting to kind of fade away. You see, so I, I really think that that, that is a, a, another one of those big questions that we have to address. You know, what happens to to the to the Ukraine? Uh, does it go? Some would say yes. It's you know, Putin will get his way. Others say no. He's not going to get his way. I think it's also how this all unfolded. Were we better? Could we have been better prepared? Could our allies have been better prepared? Or again, we are so globally connected that it is far more difficult to deal with, with this kind of uh, invasion of a sovereign country than, let's say, in the past. And, and it's not just nuclear weapons, you know. Uh, it, it's far more, far more than that. Let me, We're seeing yeah. globally as in a relative decline, okay? Yeah. And, we've, uh, and, um, and, and that's kind of been a, a bit of a concern. And I know I, I hear that mm. time and time again, uh, and I read about that time and time again. You know, I, I, I teach a course for the Ivy Tech Honors College, and, and my students are actually working on a project right now. Uh, uh, I actually have one student working on a project right now about uh, this struggle between entrenched and emerging elites. And that's what I think we see unfolding. Uh, it's a very, very clear uh, kind of indication, uh, indication of that. Well, one country that has uh, been aiding uh, Russia and all this is Belarus. Belarus, of course, used to be part of Russia. They're they're aiding Russian forces now, but as soon as Russia is um, done with Ukraine, could you see them like looking at Belarus and saying, "Okay, time for you to come back in the fold now"? Well, well, they they will, they, will, they will create an alliance system without having to do any invasion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're pretty much. I mean, again, they have one of those. Uh, what do you call those, uh, a, a democratic despot or whatever mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in, in the, the, the Belarus uh, uh, Rus, uh, leader. Uh, so I don't think they would have to be like conquering or, I mean, Soviet troops are there already. They've been there in uh, maneuvers that they do jointly with the Belarusian military. They've been doing this for over a decade, two decades, what, yeah. what have you. So it wouldn't be some, uh, an invasion like the Ukraine. Right. Uh, there are no overture. I mean, so far the leadership in, in Belarus, uh, well, you know, they're going to reject NATO. I mean, there's a ground, there's a small groundswell, I would say, uh, among some, some activists there who would encourage a more closer association with the EU, not necessarily with NATO. 
So uh, again, mm-hmm. we we have to go go back and and, and look at the, the really broad picture. I, I know we see all these images. You want short, quick answers. You want to hear somebody to really talk tough and things like this. But you know, we have to look a little bit a uh, little bit ahead because the the resulting clashes of interest that 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 have been unfolding uh, is going to color our future interaction. Right. And because of it, it's going to lead to political, economic, and possibly uh, military conflict, even more of it than we've had before. Well, Milan Andreevich is a history professor at Ivy Tech Community College and the honors program there. Milan, thank you so much for joining us here again on Off Mike. Okay, it was a pleasure, Mike. Always a you pleasure well. to talk. Thank you. And we'll be back with more Off Mike.